Hey everyone, welcome back to Every Version Ever. My name is Jonathan North, and today we're continuing our series on War of the Worlds with the first of a two-part episode where I'll be joined by Nikki, aka Trivial Theater, on YouTube. Nikki is a huge fan of bad, cheesy, horror sci-fi movies, so I thought she'd be the perfect guest to help me talk about the other 2005 version, a mockbuster made to capitalize on the real 2005 version. This was made by the direct-to-video production company The Asylum, a company whose bread and butter is terrible TV and direct-to-video films. Since this kind of thing is right up Nikki's alley, I thought she'd be the perfect guest to talk about this film with me, and then I discovered that for some reason they made a sequel to this movie, so I figured we'd just get them both out of the way at once. But of course, Nikki and I always have a lot of fun talking movies, so despite the films themselves, we ended up talking for so long that I was able to make two full episodes, one for each film. So for today's episode, we'll be talking all about the Asylum's 2005 adaptation, which is apparently officially titled H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. I'm sure he'd be thrilled to have his name in the title of such a prestigious film. Well, I guess to start, I first want to know, like, what your relationship to this story is. Like, have you read the book? Are you a fan of War of the Worlds? Have you seen other versions? That kind of thing. My understanding or my familiarity with it is um, a little different. And the first thing I had heard about was the Orson Welles reading mm-hmm. of it with the, his, uh, the Mercury, I think it was the Mercury um, yeah. Players. Mercury Theater of uh, the okay. Air, I think it was called. Ooh, of the Air. Ooh. <laughs> um, that was my first kind of understanding of it. There was a TV show that talked about it back, in the, back when I was a kid. And then mm-hmm. um, I ran across, you know, you kind of keep it in the back of your mind, but like um, the 1953 version would occasionally pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always really enjoyed that. I thought it was, I mean, it just, it was colorful and it was really interesting and it was really well done. Um, and then I ran across um, the uh, Tom Cruise version from 2005. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I saw more of the radio play and then I ran across these two. <laughs> <laughs> or you ran across these two and, and showed them to me. Yeah. Well, my original thinking with this was, well, first, I what I didn't even know about that there was a sequel, but my original thinking was this movie, the first one, was made at the same time as the Tom Cruise one. I think it was to basically capitalize on that film's release. Apparently, that's kind of a thing that these cheap filmmaking companies do. <laughs> so this was by The Asylum, which I've heard the name of, but I'm like not really a horror fan, so I'm not really familiar with their catalog. Have you seen anything else by them? Oh, Is this tons. kind of par for the course with the asylum. Um, they tend to focus on low budget. Well, like yeah, generally low budget. They do some um, mockbusters, but this one was actually their first kind of foray into mockbusters, and they've done several follow-ups to it. So, like when Thor came out, they came out with their own version of Thor. They had their own version of um, the Avengers, but they make bad movies for the sake of bad movies. So like Sharknado. Um, they made Sharknado? Yes. Okay. Like just crappy CGI, um, really over the top actors, a lot of C and D list actors. So people mm-hmm. that might've been big in the eighties or nineties, um, you'll see them come back in a lot of these. <laughs> They're desperate for something, anything. Well, they're profitable. Maybe they like it too. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like the level of shark movies alone. I mean, there's everything from like Ghost Shark to Trailer Park Shark to Shark Knit. Yeah. 
three two headed shark through six headed shark um yeah I, i'm sure that there's tons of others but yeah any any of the mashups you see anything like that i mean that's just that is their bread and butter and they're cheap to make they turn them around quick because the cgi is crap and the actors are pretty low-key lots of boobs and gore and everything else so yeah well, I guess that sort of explains the opening scene. I was like, what is with the nudity? This is, <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Yeah, it was kind of random, wasn't it? It, it That whole that whole first bit, um, yeah. even the swearing, like it just, you wouldn't see that on Sci-Fi Channel, but, you know, I'm sure that they have multiple levels of that. Yeah, um, and not, like not to like jump too far ahead, but that one guy, the one army guy, the mean one, the one who he's just insane. That guy, the way he was swearing, it was like he just learned how to swear. Now he's got to do it all the time. (laughs) Like so unnatural sounding. I don't know. Well, and that's, that's very much an asylum movies or tropes. You know, you're not just going to have, you're going to have like a smart chick scientist that turns out to be beautiful. And you're going to have the, you know, stoic older man and the really, you know, Jack esque esque characters and such and that's just kind of how they roll um but that's actually jake Busey, gary Busey's son so the the crazy eyes it's good to know that they're not that they're genetic okay (laughs) um but yeah that whole and just the the age difference that tends to be a thing like younger women older men kind of a thing like i did that i didn't look it up i thought about looking it up and i forgot i was wondering about the age difference 14 years oh yeah she was born in 80 and he was born in uh 66 okay well the older you get the less that becomes an issue (laughs) it is noticeable at some points though yeah in this particular instance she looks about and not that she's well she would have been what 35 at that point but she looked like in her mid-20s and he looks it's see it's the guy is c thomas howell and he played in um like the outsiders and movies like that of the 80s so yeah so i mean there is a definite difference in age and yeah yeah, he seemed like one of the few like competent actors in this. Yeah, she was well, okay. She was hardly on screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, he did a great job. I mean, of the actors, for what he had to work with, yeah, he he did very well with that. So, I found it kind of interesting that they named him George Herbert, like at flipping around H.G. Wells. <laughs> <laughs> According to the trivia, it is actually an homage to H.G. Wells. So, yeah. which, wow, that's that's really nice. Um, for what they <laughs> did in this movie, I'm thinking that H.G. Wells is probably spinning in his grave. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I was watching this, all I could think of was like, when is it going to be over? But then I was like, <laughs> even though I am not enjoying this, I'm sure I'll have a fun time talking about it later. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a ton to discuss and I never read the original book, but I've seen enough versions of this where, you know, they all kind of take their own take on this, mm-hmm. but this is certainly the most interesting. And I guess to stand out, you kind of have to, but it's what they did and how they did it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, I have, so semi-detailed notes hopefully i can walk this through I'm, there were parts where i could tell that they were trying to do like parts from the book and other parts it was kind of like they were just off the rails yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so the whole thing with the dad and the mom and the kid, that is all made up for this movie, that none of that was from the book. Of course, the book happens at the end of the 1800s. So yeah, the there are no characters from the book in the movie, but there are characters in the movie that I could tell were supposed to be uh, not exactly the character from the book, but like their take on the character from the book. Interesting. I was wondering about that. I guess the, the family is sort of their take on the characters in the book because in the book, the main character is never named, but it's this guy. I think he's a journalist and he ends up separated from his wife. So that's their take on it. They were none, neither of them were ever named. It was just, he was in, speaking in first person the whole time and he always referred to his wife as his wife and okay. they didn't have a kid. So that's how that fits, I guess. But <laughs> in this, he's, what was he? He was an astrophysicist, but they kept on saying, oh, you have all this knowledge and he keeps going on like, oh, well, botany. Oh, well, kids, chemistry, you know? Oh, this. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was like the catch-all science guy. Yeah. I mean, that was totally from this movie only that was not from the book right not surprising they end up getting separated because the mom leaves and that whole scene with them like fighting over him having to go to work it just seemed to kind of come out of nowhere because they seemed like they were like a good couple like they had a healthy relationship and then they're suddenly fighting about him having to go to work that seems like it came out of nowhere it was oh, it kind totally of annoying was. to me <laughs> Anything that happens in sci-fi movies, it's it's like right or out of uh, asylum movies, tends to be wrecking ball. There's no buildup, and you can see that throughout this entire movie. Mm. There are there are times when that happens everywhere. So, okay, well, they end up separated, and then he's leaving to go to work. I guess when the first ship falls, the asteroid lands, and <laughs> the way they shot that thing, it <laughs> it made no sense because like. He's driving on the road and he sees this thing fall. It looks like it hits over a hill or something. But then like seconds later, he's running up to it. And all of these people, like, where did all these people come from? They're in the middle of nowhere. And all these people are surrounding this ship. <laughs> I had to laugh too, because there was um, the one person he was talking to, like automatically turns to him and says, what happened? Even though he arrived on scene. And next to him was a chick, like, she seemed like the color commentary person. She said, oh, that's ginormous. And then she said something like, oh, it smells like ass. And it's just like, that's not really what you say about, you know, like, it's just like, who says that, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was another one of those things where it was like, it just felt out of place. Like, they had to be as edgy as possible. Yeah, well, edgy for 2005, so. <laughs> <laughs> this ship is different than what's in the book it's different than other versions it's their own creation i guess and everything happens a lot faster here than the book because in the book the the ship lands and i feel like it's a day or two before anything ever stirs because like it becomes like a thing for people to go and see this thing while it's cooling down because they can't get close to it because it's too hot right so here instead of having to wait for it to cool down it's like these things are like immediately coming out they're immediately attacking people immediately killing people and it's all really dumb 
bad CGI. <laughs> oh, really terrible. Stupid terrible. reactions from people. <laughs> and then the thing that ends up coming out, it's not even close to what's in the book. It mm-hmm. looks like some kind of giant alien crab. And <laughs> in the book and in most versions, they stick true, true to what the book says, that it's a tripod. Like it's a thing on three legs. And that's like kind of a hallmark of War of the Worlds is the tripods. Right. That's like a thing. <laughs> and that's here it's alien crabs for some reason. Well, they wanted to uh, make it their own thing, right? <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> again that's they're gonna take it and a lot of times with these mock mockbusters and i don't know if it was so much with this because it comes from a relatively established story but say they find out that there's a movie coming out about thor they're gonna take that and they're gonna rush it through production so it can come out before or right as the regular movie comes out so they can mm-hmm. so people will be like "Ooh, thor yay and they're not realizing that it's not the right one. So it has yeah. absolutely nothing. Like they'll, they'll stick super close to probably like the legend of it or like the story of it. But then they do weird stuff that kind of sets it apart. But it makes it's such a weird ca- configuration of things. It doesn't make any sense. That kind of reminds me. And th- this is the like I was telling my cousin about these movies. And I, I compared these to the cheap fairy tales like aladdin and cinderella mm-hmm. that would be in like dollar general <laughs> they're like bad animation <laughs> ugly characters but it's like a dollar and it's a dollar general so somebody's grandma is going to get it for a kid oh absolutely <laughs> it's like the same thing but for adults oh totally and that's that's the thing with any of these there that is exactly how you can relate them that, that's all it's it's the best explanation you could possibly give <laughs> Okay, so after the ridiculous carnage, the guy flees and he calls his wife and they're going to meet at the Lincoln Memorial. So now his goal for the whole movie is to get to the Lincoln Memorial, which I'm not sure that there was ever like a specific goal like that in the book because like he knew where his wife was. He left her now I can't remember he to go investigate something because he's I'm pretty sure he's a journalist and he had to go somewhere so he left her with family so I guess he is sort of trying to get back to her but like they weren't separated in that she drove off angrily and (laughs) now they've got to meet at some grand location but that's what's happening here they have to meet at the Lincoln Memorial because reasons because I think that's where they got engaged the first time or something like that and they were doing a um like a marriage or he wanted to propose to her again because 10 year anniversary or something. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, he was telling that to the kid who yeah. is not, not that great of an actor either. No, no. <laughs> did you notice too, they did the whole, Oh, Alex has a cold. I think his, the kid's name is Alex, but Oh, Alex has a cold. Oh, did you notice Alex has a cold? Make sure you put on a coat because you've got a cold. You know, it's just like, yes. we get it. Viruses. Yes, it was like beating you over the head with the foreshadowing. Yeah. I thought they were going to do more with it, though. I got to say, like, first that came up and then like the rabies thing came up and then it's like, oh, they're going to take a different take, but on the same idea. But then it just ended up being, you know, oh, general viruses took him out. Not anything specific. Yeah, that that was really strange. Yeah. Not that that the rest of the movie was much better, but (laughs) still... 
at some point in here, he meets this guy who's in the army. This is the guy from Iowa. And (laughs) this guy is another one who he's not the same character from the book, but he's this movie's take on a character from the book. In the book, he was just called the artillery man. Mm. But I think what they did was take the character of the artillery man and split him into two characters because I'm fairly certain that the insane army guy is like another version of the artillery man (laughs) because the artillery man, he wasn't, I mean, he has, he's, he's better at the beginning and then he's kind of crazy when he finds him again at the end of the book. So I think what they did was they took his good side and his bad side and split him into two characters. And he ends up staying with this guy much longer than he did in the book. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember him sticking around as like a semi-main character for most of the book. I think it's the first night that George is out. He can't get into a shed. So he sleeps outside the shed and then the army guy comes along or someone comes along and then they, they lift up the shed and get in underneath it. Mm-hmm. And that just, that whole scene, it's like, that's so goofy. Why? <laughs> and then they didn't even stay there very long. No, no, they like, didn't. What's and then the they, point they, of this? And then, then they leave. They just open the door and go. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know why, but I busted a gun at that scene. It was so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really was. I had to laugh at the guy um, when they were in the little town thing, like where they were getting groceries and stuff. Everywhere he went, he kept like like pointing his gun at stuff and like waving it around, like like not in a malicious way. He just like that's how he pointed at stuff was with the gun. <laughs> the the guns, I think that was another thing that I thought was weird too. I, it looked, maybe I'm wrong, but did did all the army guys have like just handguns? I think mm. you're right. I think they all did have um, handguns. Yeah, and that just seemed weird because I I don't think that's standard. Oh, I'm no. fairly certain that's not standard. Well, if you're, especially if you're going up against something like a giant, you know, mechanical crab, I'm pretty sure that you'd want something more than just a handgun. Yeah, I, was, I just thought that was weird. And I was like, did they not have enough budget for like actual realistic looking military grade weaponry so they just gave them all handguns it just seemed (laughs) odd very much very much did you notice too that um the good soldier guy disappeared like there was that weird scene where they were like running away from stuff Mm -hmm. and uh george ended up in a boat floating down the river like he crawls to a boat and floats down river but then the army guy just disappears and then shows up later in the movie yeah i i don't know where he went but I, I think maybe they did that because that's sort of what happened with the artillery man in the book. It's oh, like it was he done meets better. him. <laughs> and I don't think that they were like going to go on a journey together or anything. Mm. But he doesn't stay with him. He, he's with him for a little while. And then he's, they're separated for a long time. And then he finds him again. And I'm wondering if that's the only reason that they did that was to have him at the beginning. And then so they could have him again at the end. Mm. I don't know. True. I just assume plot convenience. So (laughs) I don't know. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense to have him just vanish like that. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the brother that was the uh, army ranger, like the big deal made about that. And then you see the guy and he looks, I guess there's a certain image you have in your head when you when you talk about elite soldiers. And this guy looked like a 50-year-old guy that was sunken cheeks and all that stuff. Regarded he was cut in two, but, you know. Oh, was that what was wrong with him? I couldn't tell what was wrong with him. Maybe yeah, it was he, just my screen was too dark, but I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't really see. He's kind of buried. I couldn't really tell what was going on with him, except that the army guy threw up. Yeah, no, he was, from what I saw, and I, I could be wrong too, but the way it looked to me, he was like missing everything below like lower chest. Huh, okay. How he was still alive, how they found him, who knows? Plot convenience. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm glad I didn't get too good of a look then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was pretty, I mean, it was not tame, but it wasn't like, you know, like R-rated gore, I guess. That's true. Like most of the gore and stuff in this was so fake. Yeah. Which I guess is fine because I don't really like gore anyway, but it was still, <laughs> was like, especially like the skeletons, like there were skeletons all over the place that were just red. Yeah. I was like, that does not look the slightest bit real because that's not what would happen to a skeleton. It wouldn't be just red after being left out for who knows how long. Right. Like blood turns brown pretty quickly so these skeletons are not going to be bright red forever you mean they're not going to be juicy darn (laughs) no and that was another thing with the heat ray like the the tripods the alien ships everything have their their main weapon is a heat ray and as far as i know i could be wrong but like the heat ray pretty much incinerates everyone completely like they burst into flames and then they're they're eventually gone it doesn't leave a skeleton and if it did the skeleton should be charred not bright red (laughs) that made no sense well we're talking about asylum uh movie or asylum asylum studio level physics here so yeah yeah. all that stuff they're not they're not the same shot to shot much less throughout the entire movie (laughs) yeah um oh you had mentioned how much time had passed there wasn't really that much time that passed. There was maybe like a week, maybe two in the course of this movie. Yeah, I don't think a whole lot of time passed in this movie, especially not as much time as passed in the book. Right. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure the book was over the span of weeks. And if you count the time between the first sightings of the flashes on Mars that kind of foreshadowed something coming, it was probably months because the flashes on Mars, when the rockets were taking off, which they re- later realized were the rockets taking off. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there was like a weeks or months time between that, the sighting of that and the landing of the first ship. Mm-hmm. So the book took a long time to happen and everything in this movie was real quick. Yeah. Well, and that's, that, I was kind of wondering cause um there was a couple of things like his clothes got so shabby so quickly. Yeah. And no, do not wear khakis during the Armageddon. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing was too, like at one point they're in a house and there's like a, a Valentine's day card on the door. And then I noticed that. And then later he's picking like fully grown carrots out of a garden. And it's like, okay. <laughs> that doesn't uh, work. 
maybe they just really liked that Valentine's Day card and they wanted to display it for always. <laughs> true. Very true. Very true. <laughs> I like the way you're thinking. See that that's asylum that's asylum movie logic right there. It's like my kid made this, it's going in, I don't care. <laughs> At some point, he meets another character that I think is this movie's version of a character from the book. He finds this priest who is Australian for some reason. And I'm pretty sure that this is supposed to be the curate from the book. And the curate is another, like a religious figure that they in the book, they ended up trapped under a house together. And they spent a long time together before... Well, this sort of plays out similarly, but not similarly. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens between meeting the the priest and being separated <laughs> from the priest. The, the only thing that um, stays consistent is the end of the world talk about how revelations shouldn't be happening this way and questions of faith. And they couldn't come up with actual dialogue. So they just went with like universal philosophical questions because, you know, plot convenience. That, that was another thing that was weird to me. Like, I could be wrong because I'm not Catholic, but like I grew up in like a super conservative Baptist area. Mm-hmm. So everybody around me believed in the rapture, but I am pretty sure that Catholics don't believe in the rapture. I am Catholic, and I can tell you that, to my knowledge, they never, I never learned about it until, like, like the Left Behind books came out. uh So there was always that, you know, revelations will happen, blah, blah, blah. But, and not that I mean to blah, 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 revelations, but that you didn't, rapture is very, is not a Catholic thing. At one point, though, I thought he said, he... (sighs) He said, I'm not father, I'm whatever. And I took that to mean he was a pastor, not a father. But like the cross he wears is a crucifix and you won't necessarily see a crucifix. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the collar. Yeah. He wore the priest's collar. Now there are like Anglican priests or pastors will wear the collar. But I've never known like a, a normal pastor to wear that kind of a collar. They really got their metaphors mixed, I feel like. My feeling was they just sort of hodgepodge together a bunch of religious stuff that they thought they knew and got everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you are not wrong in that point. <laughs> it's just, uh, there was so much about his dialogue that I thought didn't really make sense. No. But kind no. of know, now knowing how the asylum works. That's probably what happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the the digital effects too. Those were um, those were those were something. I even like matte pang- paintings. Like there's that one giant boat, and the, I don't even think oh, the water yeah. is moving. Like I'm I'm pretty sure the water is all matte as well. That was one of those scenes that that could have been really cool if they'd done it right. Oh, totally, totally. But you know, <laughs> why would you want to put work into that when you could just you know put that up yeah (laughs) there was a lot of things like that yeah one thing that really didn't make sense in during his time with the priest was the scene where one of the crabs somehow sneaks up on them (laughs) 
Like, what happened here? How did they not see this enormous tank coming up behind them? Like, or hear it? Like, they're not silent. No, not even remotely. <laughs> that, that just did not make sense. The part two were like, well, throughout, they, they, keep, they keep saying how hungry they are. Say you're a, a week in, you know, and like they buy food from the one store when they're in the little town and they buy like chips and something else. They don't even fill up the backpack with food. If you have the money and the town is still fully stocked, why would you not stock up with food? Like, I understand because they had mentioned like um, rotten food at one point. You don't want to eat rotten food. But all the canned goods, like all that stuff, you could have eaten for a good long time with, you know, if you're scrounging mm. through the houses that were empty. Yeah, like, and that's that scene where they bought all that stuff. The very next scene, it was like, where is all that stuff? Yeah. They weren't carrying bags. His backpack was basically empty. It was like, what happened to all the stuff you literally just bought? <laughs> <laughs> Giant hole in the backpack. There's <laughs> <laughs> just a trail of food behind them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Even the backpack disappeared scene to scene. And not, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a tiny thing in the grand scheme. But it's just like, what? Why? Just one more thing that they weren't paying enough attention to. <laughs> I, I will say one thing they did really well, like when they were, they did really well with like desolate landscapes and looking at the end credits, some of the places that they shot, they did a pretty solid job. Like mm-hmm. they, they, it looked like disaster had just happened for the most part. I mean, it wasn't greatly done, but their set design was on point with a lot of that. Yeah. The stuff that, did, that wasn't CGI looked pretty good. Yeah, and with asylum movies, that tends to be the case. Like the the CGI, you can get by on most of the the practical effects and kind of the set design, but you get into CGI in most cases, and it just falls down. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And what was with the green? Was the green like fog that they had constantly kind of after them? Was that in the book? I think that this was their take on the black smoke. From the mm, book. Okay. Okay. Because in the book, there is a smoke-like substance that is flowing over the fields. Like it's not smoke, but it behaves sort of like smoke. It like dis- it is disintegrated by water, but it leaves like a film over the water. But it's poisonous. Mm. I think this is their take on that. They just made it green gas for some reason. Shows I, up I don't better. Know. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I just think I that most of that seemed kind of pointless in the grand scheme of this movie because it came kind of late and didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, that's true. And the Mm -hmm. scene where they first see it was dumb. They were like in this (laughs) house and then they find this neighbor. I was like, what was with the neighbor? Because he comes out of his house, he's like all happy. And then this (laughs) guest like, why is this neighbor so happy? (laughs) Other people, I suppose. Now, I'm maybe. wondering if that was maybe know. like, and I, I didn't, I looked through the, the IMDb on, on the first one, and I, outside of the couple names, I didn't recognize any, but he could have been like, say, the writer or like, like random cameo type of a thing without being a cameo. Because again, that's a thing Asylum does, like the pop in all these weird cameos, like you look at Sharknado, and that's an extreme example, but you have all kinds of like random people show up and go, oh, hey, I know them, or hey, I know them, so. Hmm. 
this is the point where it's their take on the scene from the book. They're underneath a ruined farmhouse. But in this case, I'm wondering if it's kind of an homage to the 53 version because they have another ship land on the house, which I don't think happened in the book. So the only thing I could think of was that they were homaging the 53 scene. That would make sense. The 53 movie. Yeah, and that I think um, the Tom Cruise version took that too to some extent. Like the way that it's set up. I think you're right. I think it is homage to 53. Oh, I didn't even think about that when the plane crashes on the house. Yep, exactly. Okay. That, there, there was a lot of like little sneaky Easter eggs in that movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked watching it again now. that Because ha- when I first saw it years and years ago, I had not seen the 53 version. So I only picked up on a few things from the book, but like there's a lot more once once you start watching it with the knowledge from the 53 version, you get a lot of Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, I'm not a huge fan of the version. Like it, it's, a, it's well put together, but it, it never really much appealed. Like I guess the 53 version, and that's just because it was the first one that I saw of the two. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just had that, I don't know. It just had that appeal. Like it's done so well. The Tom Cruise one has a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah. I I enjoy parts <laughs> of it a lot, but other parts of it annoy me. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you loud and clear. What did you think of like the the lyric music or the lyric part of the soundtrack and like the sound effects? Like the sound effects to me were just really weird. There was a bunch of weird music in this i can't remember the the sound effects too much but i do remember specifically thinking what is with this music multiple times i'm glad i'm not the only one (laughs) (laughs) it's it almost seemed like i mean i guess since it's 2005 maybe this makes sense but it almost seemed like weird 90s music at Mm. times that's true that's true it seemed so out of place no, I'm not going to disagree with you. It did. And it was it was disjointed. Like, it wasn't good 90s music. No. It was just, like, really 90s music. No, yeah. It was it was like they wanted the cheapest music they could license. The, and that was what was <laughs> left over. <laughs> they had to pay Sue Thomas Howell all his hundreds of dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, did you notice, for instance... Um, and obviously they're not tripods. I don't even think they give them a name in this one. But did you notice that they like, it was more a movie that had them, but it didn't really star them. Like there was more human stuff than there was actual stuff with the tripods. Yeah, I did notice that there was very little. Well, I mean, not very little, but like a lot less alien stuff than you would expect. Especially since this is War of the Worlds. Yeah you would expect more scenes of destruction and really there are only kind of just a few big scenes and a lot more with the people which is fine if handled correctly but i don't think they handled a lot of it correctly so not even remotely well it was almost like a transformers movie where like it says transformers they say, ooh, look, we've got Transformers, but it's like it centers around Sam Wit- Witwicky. Okay. Like I've only fe- seen the first Transformers movie. My friend has told me, don't ever watch any of the rest of them. They're horrible. <laughs> I don't blame you. 
that yeah they're um they're not worth they're they're really not worth your time but they they don't they're they're kind of auxiliary characters in a movie that should be focused on them and that's kind of what i got from this one in that respect so yeah that that makes sense we're still under the house but this is like a vet clinic and this is where we get the stuff with the rabies like there's rabies vaccines Mm -hmm. and I don't really know where they were going with all that. There was like, he wanted to infect them with rabies, but like, how is he supposed to know that that would even work? Because in the book, nobody, nobody would even thought that like the only thing that they tried was to shoot them like with like artillery fire. Mm -hmm. Like they were trying violent ways of doing it. And nobody (laughs) even thought of viruses and unless you had read war of the worlds like now that war of the worlds is like in the public consciousness if aliens were ever to attack i think people would try that oh totally in this world i'm assuming that war of the worlds has never been written (laughs) so why is that his thing like we got to give him rabies that's the only thing that'll take him out (laughs) like where, where does that idea even come from and I think it was more the idea of infectious disease more than it was actually like rabies specifically. I think that probably like made the idea come into his mind. It's still a dumb idea because uh-huh. like the thing that undid, obviously the thing that undid them in, in the book and all the other movies was their own exposure to the thing that they needed most, you know, human blood, which didn't even come up. Like they didn't talk about that at all. No, I, I made a note of that too. I was like, why didn't anyone even mention the blood? Yeah, they they were trying to, it seemed like they were trying to have their cake and eat it too, as far as like, you know, this unknown threat that we have no idea what it is. We have no idea what it's going to do. But yet, yeah, like you say with, with George, he's like, ooh, you know, infectious disease or rabies or whatever. It could take them out. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's another weird thing that I guess I I forgot to mention it earlier, but it happens again to the priest. Well, first he's like having this crisis of faith. And he's talking about, like, he's lost his faith. And then there's the whole thing with the rabies. And then suddenly he regains his faith. And then he's immediately melted. (laughs) It was so dumb. The the face melting scene was pretty solidly done, though. Like, of the effects in this movie, that one wasn't bad. I guess so. Grand scheme. it it (laughs) It had happened earlier, too, at the beginning. Somebody else got melted. Oh, yeah, you're right. Both times I was like, what is this? This is not from the book. They just <laughs> wanted to melt somebody, I guess. They did. They they were like, hey, we've got a whole bunch of facial prosthetics we want to use. What can we use them on? Let's melt somebody's face. Yeah, that was not from the book at all. There was no similar weapon that the aliens used. That was just something <laughs> that they made up. Anyway, at this point, he flees the place where the priest got melted. And this is where you get the <laughs> carrot scene. But one thing that I noticed with the carrots that he's yanking out of the ground and scarfing down, there's no dirt on them. Mm-mm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> carrots are covered in dirt when you pull them out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> These are like practically perfect. <laughs> they they come from the best farmer's market. All of the money, like all the extra scripting money or all the extra money um, for the movie went to those carrots. And they couldn't even, they, they didn't want to mar their image with dirt. No. It had to be pristine. Not. 
pristine. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, guy can totally be covered in dirt, but yeah, carrots. (laughs) (laughs) At some point in here, he is reunited with the army guy, and then also the insane army guy. (laughs) And I, I forget exactly why it happened, but like he ends up. The insane guy shoots the nice army guy in the head. And then the, the, our main character, George, smashes him in the head with a rock. And then <laughs> the rest of the army just wanders away. <laughs> <laughs> well, well from, the, from, the, like, from the first time they got together, the crazy army guy talked about how important George was because... It's scientists that's going to save us. And then when they meet up again, he says, oh, you know, scientists are so important. They're more important than all the rest of us. And then he turns around and then he pops the guy in the head because, you know, they're nothing compared to the scientists. Which again, probably a classic Jake Busey move given his dad, but not so much a, you know, normal army man. Yeah. I just thought that that whole scene was super weird. Especially yeah, the way it ended with the rest of the army just sort of watching and then wandering away. Yeah. Well, they're like, well, okay, I guess we're back to wandering. Okay, <laughs> taking my rations and go. <laughs> and then we finally get to the Lincoln Memorial. And I couldn't really tell what was going on here. Was that an alien? Like, was that supposed to be the creature out of the ship that he finds? It was supposed to be one of them. Tube thing. <laughs> Yeah, it looked like he had, gar- like, you know those, um, at Halloween, they fill up garbage bags with leaves, and they become, like, <laughs> spiders and things like that. That's what that, like, it's like, it looked like a friggin', like, a, a, a an upscale version of, like, that. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. It looks so <laughs> stupid. Oh, man. <laughs> I just, like, stand in there, and then it goes, <laughs> Yeah. Like there's this there's a whole thing where he's like begging this thing to kill him and I was like, is he what is that thing? What is he talking to? And then it falls over. <laughs> and and like the insistence let's just say, kill me, kill me. Yeah. It was really dumb. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like that giant not tripod tripod. Um, you know, sneaking up on those two guys. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes all these people. Like, literally tens of people. Yeah, including uh, his family. Yes, of course, because, you know, why not? And then that's basically the end. Well, no, at the very end credits, um, they have a mention of no aliens being harmed in the making of this movie. Oh, I didn't even watch. I was like, I, no, I no, need to I, get on I, to the next one and get this over with as quick as possible. <laughs> i'm a credit watcher like i I watch all the way to the end because normally there's little goofy things in a lot of the movies i watch um which says something about the movies i watch but um i do that with movies i like (laughs) yeah true true (laughs) but it was actually it was actually it was cheeky and kind of fun and it's like well that was one of the that was the best thing in the movie right there was this little thing about no aliens being harmed (laughs) but there you go that's uh that's war of the worlds 2005 ripoff edition. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best name for it. They should have marketed it as that. (laughs) 
Thank you so much to Nikki for joining me for this episode of Every Version Ever. Like I said at the beginning, while researching for this series, I discovered there was a sequel to this film, and Nikki and I decided to cover it while we covered this one. So next time, we'll be talking about the 2008 film, War of the Worlds 2, The Next Wave. I'm so excited. But no, really, as bad as these movies are, talking about them with Nikki is so much fun, so even though I can't in good faith recommend the films, I can recommend that you listen to us talk about them. But before we go for today, at some point, Nikki and I went off on a long tangent that was almost completely unrelated to the movies themselves, and it was so long and irrelevant to the main conversation that I had to cut it, but I wanted to save it somehow because this is the kind of thing that I personally would like to listen to. For context, Nikki and I are both from Iowa, though I think we're on opposite sides of the state, and a character in this movie was also from Iowa, and that led to a huge tangent that was fun for us, but like I said, ultimately irrelevant to the main discussion. So I figured I'd save it and throw it in at the end as a little bonus for those of you who wanted to stick around for it. Either way, we'll see you for the next episode on every version ever. Thanks for listening. Um, One of the people, I think it was the soldier, like someone of, or the, I think it's Carrie is the soldier. Um, he talks about being from Iowa and mentions how many June bugs they had. It's like, oh, that's interesting. It's a little. I, I noticed that. I wrote that down <laughs> somewhere in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really had thing more skeeters than June bugs, but you know. Well, it depends on the time of year. Like around here, mm. the, there's like a certain time of year where there's like June bugs everywhere. Really. At least where I am, like right. you can't you can't go outside with a with a light on without getting oh, yeah, mobbed yeah. by bugs and not just June bugs, but like moths and everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, uh, we get a certain time of year here. Uh, well, right around the 4th of July and we're right, I'm right off of the Mississippi and uh, God, the fish flies, I think they're just mayflies. They live for a day and die. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like on a bad year, you talk nuts. There are places and times when the freaking things are, you know, six inches deep. It's just nuts. Yeah, there's all. There was one year. Speaking of bugs everywhere, I don't remember what year it was. It's been a long time, but it was like a plague of millipedes. Oh, like, like those little worm things, not the yeah. ones with the long legs. Yeah, they're everywhere. There was like everywhere in the house too. Like <laughs> this is like semi horrifying, but like you could see the carpet moving. There was so many. Oh god! And like we were trying oh. to vacuum them up with like a shop back like, <laughs> dad would like scrape the carpet and get a pile of them it was horrible i don't know I can... why they were so bad that year well you know there's so many well they were talking i've got a friend out in south carolina south carolina or kentucky one of the two i think it was south carolina but they do the like the seven years um uh what are they not locusts uh cicadas cicadas yeah and apparently that hit this year as well as like everything else so Mm. Well, cicadas i don't know that they're much of a nuisance as they are just loud i think it's just more the like the amount of them like any i guess anything you know if you get too many of them but like they, they get overrun mm. so but we don't i don't think we've ever had a problem being overrun by cicadas but they can be very loud if there's enough of them oh yeah yeah agreed agreed well and it's just like like you get fish flies here there's a little town that's an island um, down south, like south of Davenport. And it's an um, island it's, in Iowa. It's right on the river. So like the river splits around it. So you have to take a bridge to get to this little town. It's called Sabula. 
and then you have to take another bridge to get to Illinois. Huh. It's just a real little town. But they had fish fly so bad the one year, they actually had to pull out all the uh, all the plows, like all the plow trucks. Huh. And salt because it was so slick because there were so many on the roads. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like disgusting. They're just like the smell of them is like, you look at it and go, yep, that smells awful. <laughs> huh. But. Well, I know that we were talking about bugs, but like the thing I got out of that was like, Iowa has an island that I did not know about. I'm <laughs> forever finding out new things about my state that I never knew. Like, I didn't even know we had cliffs here, but we do. Yeah, I live on one. So, well, not cliffs. Well, I guess there are cliffs, but where I'm at is one of the tallest, like steepest roads in Iowa is um, not very far away from me. So, huh? yeah, it sucks in the wintertime. You, you don't drive on it, you know, if it's snowing. But Oh, no. There, we've been snowed in at where we are at times. Oh, it was one year that. we had snow that went up. Like they, they had a specialized plow come through to dig us out because the snow was so deep. Wow. So up to the top of the mailbox. Oh my God. Plow had to come through. And I bet that at points on our road, the snow was like 10 feet high. It was like you had to look way up to see the top of the snow. Wow. That's, that's amazing and scary. And I'm glad you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was like, like my, my family, came here from Canada when my dad was a teenager. Oh, wow. And we'd always hear stories about Canada, Canadian winters. <laughs> so it was almost like we were living through one of dad's stories of his childhood. <laughs> I can imagine so. <laughs> oh, God, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you came to Iowa. You know, a Canadian nice, Iowa nice. Yeah. All relative. <laughs> it was the perfect place for Canadians to move to. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it's relative. I'm sure it's warmer here than what you'd get up in. I mean, from what I understand of Canada, I don't know it well, but mm-hmm. just given, you know, altitudes and stuff or not altitudes, but like where you're at. Yeah. Um, further north you get. Yeah. Yeah. Like I got friends up in Northern Wisconsin and they get like, like three months of nice weather a year. All The rest of it's either snowing or going to snow or recovering from snow. So, mm-hmm. but they're pretty rural though too so all righty well, well. certainly a rabbit trail <laughs> <laughs> yes it was went from i well we went from well i guess we went from june bugs to canada so that's not <laughs> so bad there are weirder tangents well i suppose we should get back to the topic at hand <laughs> do we have to <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> true, true. And it wasn't, they weren't bad. They just, yeah. Anyway, 